0: Hello and welcome to the Arsenal way back with you guys for another episode of our press box series showing which I'm joined by our colleagues from over at football London. I'm today joined by Kai Karnak. How are you doing mate? Are you well?
1: I'm very good. Thank you. How about yourself?
0: Yes, very good. Besides the chaotic week of losing car keys and and the like, it's been a, <laughs> it's been a it's been a decent week. It has. It's just I was talking about this this morning with, with a couple of friends about how I'm desperate for football this weekend, but I'm not so desperate because it means that after this weekend we've got a whole drought of club
1: football. I know of another the one, break. another it's one. Third time in like, three months. there's so many of them. It's just too as you many start many to get them. used to it. But the, the good thing we can take from it is after this one, there's not one for, I think, five or something months. So. Yeah, it's
0: March, I think, yeah. isn't it? The next, the there next you go. one. So that's, that's five months positive. And we obviously go into else. festive period, which is there's loads yes. of football to talk yes. about. We're gonna and, be uh,
1: very busy.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, we're, we're dreading the fact there's an international break. But when we're hit with the festive period full of January window, it's going to be uh, all hands on deck for sure. Yeah. Um, but we are obviously leading up to this game against Watford, which is Mikel Arteta's 100th game uh, as Arsenal coach. And I do want to kick off by talking about that and kind of getting your thoughts around how you feel Arteta's done ever since he, he started Dover. It was all the way back in 2019, which I know is still less than two years ago, but it genuinely feels like I must have been a teenager when Arteta took over. It feels like it's been that long.
1: I know. I think I was still in nursery when Mikel Arteta was actually uh, (laughs) appointed. It feels like it was that long ago. Yeah, two years. It's been less than two years, which is mad to think. But Mm. obviously so much has happened since then. Not just Arteta said this himself in his press conference, but not just in football, but in the world. Obviously the pandemic, Um, our entire lives has changed since then. So lots of things have gone on and um, it feels like Arsenal have been through a lot in that time. They're they're a completely Mm. different team. If you look at the side who... Mikel Arteta played in that first game. I'd be interested to see. I'm not sure. I think maybe Abamang and Lacazette are the only players really still involved from that first starting eleven. It's pick. A two-two
0: with Bournemouth, that it was.
1: Ah, uh, one all. I, I want to say one-one. I know it was a yeah, draw. I know jacka <laughs> played in that game, and Urso coming back was obviously the big story. And then yeah, so that the lineup was.
0: Out. Leno, Maitland-Niles, Socrates, David Luiz, Bakai Saka at left back, Xhaka, uh, yeah. Torreira, Abamyang, Ozil, Reese Nelson started and Lacazette wow. up top. Wow. How things change.
1: Yes, exactly. It's just a sign of, to be fair, how much work he's done in this short period of time, which given the, obviously, pandemic we were talking about before and all those things that have gone on, is impressive. The amount of turnover we've seen, mm. player turnover, obviously a, a bit of, uh, I don't know, Deadwood seems harsh, but players who have maybe surplus to requirements still at the club, but plenty of players have been moved on in that short space of time and plenty have been brought in. And you'd have to say, given how well it's going for us right now, he deserves credit for how seamlessly that seems to have been done. Yeah. But there's still plenty more to come in the, the next hundred games if he makes it that far.
0: I suppose we we think about it such a long time because, as you say, so much has changed. That that lineup against Bournemouth, Sakura, Bamming, and Lacazette are the only survivors we'd expect to see start on at the weekend. Granite Xhaka might have been in there had he have been fit, of course, but Lekongo and Partey have come in and, and been excellent. The whole mm. the whole back five is different. I mean, Zaka, of course, isn't at left back; he'll be playing in the forward line. We've brought in Tini. Obviously, would be back fit for for this game. We hope, which ironically was the reason why he was left out of that game as well, because he wasn't yet fit during that period. Louise and and Socrates has now swapped out for for White and Gabriel, which is a, com- a completely more youthful. It's more youthful, isn't it? That's been the big change, I think, for Arsenal's squad. It's there's so much more of kind of younger, energetic feel about this squad now.
1: I think that's why they're so easy to relate to as a team. And I think that's mm-hmm. why fans are a lot more willing to maybe let a few things go, I guess, um, and support them a bit more unconditionally. When you come with the baggage of a player like Socrates or a David Luiz, who have been around the block yeah. a few times, you sort of, you lose faith that they're ever going to change or get better. Whereas with this current crop of players, Ben White, Gabriel, Tom Yasu, who turns 23 today, so happy birthday to him. Pierrotini, players like that think, right, they've made a mistake, but they're going to learn from it and they're going to get better. When they're young, you get the feeling things are going to improve and that's always a positive. Obviously, Arsenal have the youngest squad in the Premier League, which is a very risky strategy, but I think in the long term, it's going to pay dividends for the Gunners. And yeah, I think it's a really smart piece of business and I think it's yeah. why Arsenal, the, the mood around the camp and the mood around the club in general is so positive at the moment.
0: It is risky, um, but if it as I say, if it pays off, and Arsenal say get back into Europe with the youngest average Premier League squad, what they can build from that and how the players can naturally improve just by development is going to be huge for them going forwards. Um, and we obviously have, have seen a few more England uh, call-ups for our team for so many years. The England team was just completely absent of, of yeah. Arsenal players. I think it was just basically Theo Walcott that was was really one of the only ones that well was back in there. every now
1: and again, yeah.
0: Wellbeck sometimes obviously got a call out of Oxlade-Chamberlain mm. when he was here too, sometimes was in there. but. Well, I remember the days when most of the, well, not most of, but there was a lot of of Arsenal representation, um, and that that has obviously changed. Arsene Wenger brought in a lot more kind of imports from outside, and that did obviously lessen the number of of English players. But it's always been kind of for me, anyway, that the friendlies or the the qualifiers for England are always difficult to to get through at times. Um, but an Arsenal kind of presence in those teams gives us certainly more of an emphasis to watch. So. When I see that Ramsdale and Saka have been called up, I'm like, yeah, fantastic. That's great. But I can't help but be frustrated at Ben White and Emil Smith Rowe's omission from that team.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've had a bit of time to sort of calm down since the first um announcement was made. And I've sort of stepped back from it a bit. And I'm I'm more understanding <laughs> of the Emil Smith Rowe decision, just because obviously today he was called up to the under 21s. And my thinking was particularly with that game against San Marino, where England are going to win anyway, you might as well give someone new a chance. We've seen players like Raheem Sterling. We know what they can do. He's not in the best form at club level. So why not give someone like Smith a chance? I guess that creates Mm. more of a story than it's probably worth. So maybe that's why uh, Gareth Southgate hasn't gone for it. But the Ben White decision, I just cannot understand. I mean, Tyron Mings has been dropped at Aston Villa because he's been playing poorly. And we had this conversation, I think, last time when the English squad was announced. And Connor Cody, I, I like him as a character and I get why he's called up in that sense. But... Can you really argue that he's offering more to the side than Ben White? Same goes to John Stones, who's started one Premier League game for Manchester City this season. Um, Harry Maguire was part of that side that conceded five at Liverpool. Uh, Ben White has kept five clean sheets himself in the past, um, I think, three matches for Arsenal. So, you know, he's clearly someone who needs to be in and around that England conversation and it's a strange one because Southgate has always been someone who you get the feeling where he's obviously trying to create that club atmosphere at international level, which is important. So you want a similarish revolving cast of players. But at the same time, mm. you do want to be picking players on form. And as much as he says players like Ben White were in the conversation and in and around it, you look at Fakaya Tomori and AC Milan as well, who's doing fantastically as well. Players like that, you sort of wonder why they're not getting a look in when lesser players who are, let's be honest, a little bit older and a little bit later on in their careers, like Mings like Cody continue to get um call-ups. I just think in the past, maybe England's central defensive depth wasn't that good, but now it's getting better and better. And mm. players like Ben White, for me at least, did not just be ending the squad, they should be starting those games. Because I think Ben White is England's second best centre half right now. I'd argue that on form he's probably even the best. But the fact mm. that he's not making the squad is 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 really disappointing. And it sort of speaks to maybe Gareth Southgate bowing to Yes, a few of the egos in the England squad rather than necessarily picking based on form.
0: Yeah. What do you make of kind of the reaction online from Arsenal fans that are happy about it? Because some people would turn around and say that it's great, Ben White's now would have to worry about him getting injured. Injuries can happen in training, by the way. I mean, remember Jack Wilshire famously getting very injured in training. Emil Smith-Rowe, ironically, I think maybe people looked over the fact that his, his omission from the senior side doesn't mean he's omitted from the under-21s, and so he's going to be away with with those guys. What do you make of that reaction?
1: Um, I think Mikhail Arteta did it, uh, answered it quite well, actually. He was asked about that in his press conference today, mm. and I think his answer was something along the lines of, look, I'm obviously happy to have them, but we want to encourage our players to aspire for the greatest and best things in football. And if you're a Footballer in the Premier League, your next step is trying to get called up for your national team. That's supposedly the pinnacle of football, maybe less so nowadays just because of how the Premier League has evolved and the Champions League has got increasing importance. But I think the best players tend to be playing for their national sides. So I get the argument that maybe Ben White will get a bit more time on the training grounds, but it's not like in that first international break where it was White, Ramsdale, and Gabrielle, and they had a bit of time to work with each other on the training ground and they clearly. Uh, managed to strike up quite a quick partnership very quickly. It's just going to be Ben White. I'm not sure if I quite buy into the idea that he's going to really benefit from having mm. two weeks extra on the training ground. Just because I think he's, he's he's shown what he can do, and I really think this is the kind of game where he needs to be involved in the England setup. And it, yeah, it's frustrating that he isn't.
0: Yeah. But they will be uh, available for Arteta this weekend against Watford, which is obviously a game that may not bring as much kind of narrative as the game away against Leicester or the home game against Villa. But it's it's a game which throws up the opportunity for this momentum to come to an abrupt end if Arsenal don't take it as seriously as they need to. And, And Arsenal teams of the past have we've been looking too far ahead of ourselves and we've stumbled on some of these banana skins and it's quite apt that they do play in yellow Watford uh for the match so uh, we need to make sure that we avoid this um how do you think Arsenal are preparing for this and do you get the sense from kind of the the feel around the team now that that kind of arrogance and maybe expectation of or just the expectance of winning some games which bled into former sides maybe isn't there as much as it used to be
1: It's a good question. I think from speaking to people around the club and from just observing the club and looking at the characters involved, you get the feeling that they're taking each game a lot more seriously. I think not being in Europe has a lot to do with that. So there's less sort of distractions to take them away. There's less um, games to focus on. So players are mentally fit and ready for each game as much as they are physically fit and ready for each game. So that plays a big part. And I don't think we should discount Watford's. I don't think anyone realistically is discounting Watford's. That's the thing about the Premier League is there's so many I know it's a cliche but there's no easy games and like there's a reason that's a a saying it's because well there aren't I mean there's probably a more articulate way of describing that but there you go I think it's the reason that um, Watford have chosen to appoint Claudio Ranieri is because they want to be up there and away from the relegation zone so they need to be starting to win games we saw When they played against Everton, that they've got a goal scoring threat, obviously scored five against Everton. That's pretty impressive. But then again, we saw in the game against Liverpool that they can be opened up. So I think Arsenal go into this game with a thought process that yes, we need to take it seriously and we need to win, but they'll be going into this game very much expecting claim the three points and hopefully going to the international break in the top five, not just top six
0: that would be I mean the, there's a chance that obviously either there'll be three clear or a couple of points clear of Manchester United if they win there's even a chance they could be level with Man City which is just yes. ridiculous yes. when you consider they, where you know, we were 10 games prior after this game yeah if it's a
1: 15 difficult. goal victory on Sunday then Arsenal will be able to get up into 30 so you never know can <laughs>
0: Or maybe Ben Foster will do one for YouTube and throw a few in his own maybe, net for the news. Maybe, maybe, maybe that <laughs> <laughs> Um the, the big kind of dilemmas for Mikel Arteta this game is the news, and he talked about Kieran Tierney, the availability of him. He's he's been training a couple of days, and hopefully he'll be he'll be free, free and set and ready to return. Are you, if you were Mikel Arteta, tempted to throw him in in this game and think he's he's our starting left back? So if he's fit, he plays. Or do you reward Tavares with those two good performances against Villa and Leicester?
1: So we've got uh, reporters 11 piece coming out with myself and one of our other Arsenal writers, Tasha in and Elaine, tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. But a little preview, I guess, of the Kieran Tierney-Nuno Tavares decision is I would stick with Nuno Tavares for this game. I think it seems as though Steve Clark is going to call Kieran Tierney up for the Scotland squad anyway. Scotland don't play mm-hmm. until late next week, so it doesn't make sense to... I guess, risk him getting injured. Now, if he's going to be called up regardless in those next matches, it's a bruised ankle. So you feel like if they maybe give him some painkilling injections, he'll be able to get through it and play in what is a really important game for Scotland. If they win, then they qualify for the playoffs for the World Cup qualifiers. So it's a massive game and he won't miss that. You know, We know his dedication to his country. So mm. I wouldn't risk Tierney for this one. I also think Tavares has been in fantastic form. So why not let Tierney go away with Scotland, get the minutes into his legs there and come back fully sharp? after the international break for the first game, I think it's Liverpool. So you need him fit and firing for that one. I just think Pavares has been good. And if Tierney's not fully fit, then there's no reason to rush him back into the game against Watford.
0: No, no, there isn't. I think it's certainly one that we're going to need to be careful about and how we manage Tierney because, yes, it's great that we've got this this young kid, Tavares, who if we did, had him last season, maybe the end of last season would have been very different if we'd have had an actual backup to Tierney to available, which we didn't. But at the same time, you need to understand that he's still very young two games in a row which have been great do not set the the ter- the trend yeah. for the rest of the season and, and that needs to be wary and when we go up against Mohamed Salah it's going to be a huge test for whoever plays in that position and Tierney has already experience of playing against Salah and you know at home doing a very decent job at Anfield we've not been so lucky so <laughs> fingers crossed we can we can get something in that game but we'll focus on that of course much much closer to the time now Obviously, beyond that left back position, it does seem like the rest of the team pretty much picks itself for Arteta. He seems very married now to this idea of this loose four four two slash four two three one with Lacazette dropping into the number ten role. Do you think, and I know we touched upon this last time, but do you think if, say, he does stick to that in this game, that it is kind of an indication that this is what he wants to move forward with, at least while he's got Lacazette available to him?
1: I don't know. I don't think we can really make sort of long-term conclusions Mm. with Arsenal just because things change so quickly and form changes so quickly. I don't think anyone realistically would have expected Alex Lacazette to come in and play in a sort of nine and a half role in behind Pierre-Éric Aubameyang, what is it, by the time the last international break Mm. happens? So we've seen that things can change very quickly in football. I don't think Odegaard is someone who will necessarily be out of the team um, in this new setup. I think he's someone who can come in and In certain games, I I saw a tweet saying something along the lines of there are games where you need to sort of hammer down the defence and there are games where you sort of need to chisel through it with a bit more finesse. And I think that's a perfect way of describing it. Some games, Alex Lacazette will be the kind of player that you want and some games, Martin Erdegaard will be the more refined option that you want. I think Watford, we're not quite sure what kind of threat they're going to pose just because we know that Ranieri likes to set up his teams quite compactly. So maybe a player like... Um, Lacazette, sorry, Odegaard would make more sense for that but I don't think uh, Artes will be one to change for a winning formula for this game at least but that's not mm. to say that he won't ever do it in the future. I think for example maybe against uh, Liverpool uh, after the international break he might want a bit more stability in the midfield so he might choose Odegaard over Lacazette. That's not a, a dig at Lacazette at all, that's just the reality of the kind of mm. task you face when you play a team like Liverpool. So different games uh, different opportunities, different options and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it's important that you you look at your opposition. Yes, we want to be confident enough that we can focus the majority of the prep on ourselves. Uh, and I think that the, obviously the best teams in the league that fight for their targets have most of the focus on what they're going to do rather than trying to combat what necessarily the opposition are going to do. You tend to see that the the sides lower down the table looking at the opposition how are they going to try and get a point from that game or three points from that game so we want to be at the upper echelons of the league and we need to be focused on how we can get the best out of our own performance so fingers crossed that's the way that that we see Arteta moving um last kind of topic that I want to discuss uh, with you uh, Kaya obviously last night was Antonio Conte's first game um as Tottenham boss it was a interesting fixture (laughs) it's fair to say with three red cards five goals um it looked like it was all going rosy at three 0 up after 30 or so minutes and then spurs did a bit a little bit of a spurs nearly completely blew it (laughs) It has obviously been officially confirmed since we did our last press box. How do you feel about it now? How do you and and I'll come also onto the the other managerial thing which didn't happen, which was Unai Emery. We'll touch on that in a second. But what have you made of of Conte's start and how do you now feel about it a couple of days in?
1: I'll be honest, I didn't actually see the game yesterday because I was mm. I was playing five a side myself, so I had to had to good miss choice. it. Unfortunately, <laughs> thank you, thank you. It sounded like a good match. I got lots of texts afterwards telling me that it was a good game. So. Um, I'll have to catch up on the highlights. I've actually seen the highlights this morning. It did look pretty entertaining. Mm. Um, I think we didn't really learn anything new about Spurs last night. We saw that they've got a very threatening attack. We know that. Players like Son, Kane, Lucas Mora, even Dele Alli, if he ever gets mm. back to his best form, players like that are very threatening. But we know that their defence isn't particularly solid and that's what Antonio Conte's sides are built on. I've not been particularly impressed by Christian Romero since he came in and he obviously he got knows. sent off. Gavin Sosantez is a bit shaky on the ball and... Uh, Eric Dyer is someone who I think is very lucky to still be at a club mm. like Tottenham. Um, I think they really need some improvements in those areas, and I think we also saw that in possession. I have I read some match reports. I spoke to some colleagues uh, from Football London who are involved with the Spurs side of things, and it's basically told us that. Um, midfield is a real issue for Tottenham and that's going to continue to be the case. I think possession-wise they struggled against Vitesse from what I heard. Obviously, I haven't seen it. Mm. Yeah, like I said, we didn't really see anything new. I think Antonio Conte, though, in answer to your question as to whether he's a threat, he's a really good manager. So, Mm.
0: obviously,
1: Spurs are going to be a lot more of a threatening side than when they were under Nuno and I think we have to be a bit more I don't want to sound too disrespectful, but take them maybe a little bit more seriously now as contenders for those European places because I think oh. Antonio Conte won't allow those kind of performances we saw from Spurs and Muno in terms of maybe the lower intensity, the less creativity, less defensive work. And I think you could argue maybe not putting in 100%. Mm. Conte is a very traditional past master who will not allow things like that. So I think Spurs have become more threatening Uh, team because of it but i still think like we saw last night and like we know defensively and in midfield they still have a lot of issues that they need to solve
0: they do. I mean, what was interesting, I think, was was immediately they went to the three at the back system. Um, yeah, we know yeah. that the Conte is very much uh, a fan of, and I mean Ben Davies played a left centre back role with Sergio Reguilon playing in the, in the wing back position, Emerson Royal playing the right wing back position. Yeah, there's been big questions about whether he can play a right wing back role. It tends to be more of a fullback. Um was speaking. Uh, We're speaking to. I think it was Coz from Get Italian uh, Football News who reckons that Sergio Reguilon is more capable of playing kind of this wing-back role yeah, yeah. more so than Emerson is. But uh, so. it, it's going to be, if if Ben Davies say he is, because I'm, I'm trying to think of another left-footed player they've got in defence, and I'm not sure any of their centre-backs are left-footed. I don't so. think they do,
1: but it's worth remembering that at Chelsea, none of that back three were left-footed. Uh, Very Damian true. Lewis, Gary Cahill, Asper Quetta, all right-footers. So hmm. I don't think that's too much of an issue. I don't think you necessarily need a lefty in mm. the back three um chelsea current team will really, tell you uh,
0: differently <laughs>
1: yes well yeah. likes the balance yes we know, we mm. know that that's uh, yeah, strange from that but um i don't think Ponte necessarily needs mm. the, the left footer on the left side and i think yeah sergio reguon and even emerson royale i think he'll really benefit from being able to he seems from what i've seen of him i've not watched a lot of spurs i've been busy covering Arsenal. Mm. to be honest it's been a don't lot more fun this season <laughs> so they tend to score a lot more goals it's just a lot more yeah. going on in arsenal games but from what I've seen of Emerson Royale, he seems to be a more attack-minded fullback, So maybe the wing-back role will suit him. Well, we'll have to see. But Sergio Reguilón, definitely someone who will really enjoy, I think, that attacking-minded uh, role that Conte seems to have carved out for him already.
0: Hmm. And the other really big managerial news, which obviously is very much more related to Arsenal, Unai Emery didn't get appointed as, as Newcastle manager. Instead, I'm not sure it's been officially announced at the time of recording, but it's very, very likely that Eddie Howe is is set to be the man to take that position. From my if I take my journalistic hat off and come from an Arsenal fan point of view, I am not threatened anywhere near as much with the idea of Eddie Howe taking over as I would have been with, with say, Unai Emery.
1: Mm, I agree. I think Unai Emery um, needs to be commended for the loyalty shown to Villarreal, and I get that because they gave him his chance back in football. I think after Arsenal, his reputation mm. had taken a real hit because he'd come from PSG before that and he had a few sort of questionable... Um, I guess, jobs in a row. But Villarreal, he's really been able to re-establish his reputation that we saw him build up at Sevilla. Mm. I think if Newcastle had been able to lure him to St James's Park, that would have been a real coup for them because he's not necessarily a manager who you want for the long term to define the style of a club. But if you want Mm. immediate results and you want to get up the table quickly, he's your guy. And I think he would have been perfect for what they need right now. I don't think he would have been the long-term answer for Newcastle, but in terms of just getting the best out of the players and finding a way, a system that suits the players that can maybe cause a bit of damage to oppositions I think Unai Emery would have been the guy Eddie Howe I'm always a bit on the fence about Eddie Howe because he did some yeah. good stuff at Bournemouth but defensively they were not that great a side uh, they had a lot of issues I get there's a lot of ex-Bournemouth players at Newcastle Callum Wilson Ryan Fraser mm. so maybe he can try and get the best out of them again but I think Newcastle really needs to fix up defensively right now I've got a couple of Newcastle yeah. supporting mates who have told me that that's their biggest issue they want to get a new centre-half in in January and I don't know if Eddie Howe is the kind of coach that really sort that out. I, I, I'd like to be proved wrong because I'm interested to see what happens with Newcastle and just as an experiment mm. I'm interested to watch it uh, unfold. I don't as much as it would be funny to see them get relegated to the championship League oh, yeah. immediately after being taken oh, I'm, I'm so, so on for that. <laughs> I know. A lot of people are. A lot of people are but I just I don't mm. think I quite want to see it. I want to see them next season really make a dent in the Premier League and see what they can do. But um, I don't know if Eddie Howe is necessarily a guaranteed sort of Relegation mm, saver nice. offer—that's not a word, but you get. We point. know
0: what you mean. <laughs>
1: you know what I mean. You know what I mean. But yeah, in the way that Unai Emery definitely would have kept them up, I don't think Eddie Howe mm. does do that. And I think there are options out there for Newcastle, probably better suited the job. And maybe, maybe I'll be proved wrong. But maybe this also speaks to the fact they haven't got a director of football in yet. Yeah, guys who have taken over don't have that much football expertise. So mm. I don't know who's advising them on this appointment, but if I were them, I'd go for a different manager potentially, but I don't know who that would be specifically. Who? It's not going to be Uni Emery.
0: Mm. It's yeah. I mean, it was, it was a, always going to be a difficult one. They wanted to get rid of Steve Bruce. It was very, very obvious. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Grown very, very sour, even amongst the Newcastle fan base. And I feel, I really felt for Steve Bruce because he's obviously Me a big too. Newcastle fan and Geordie himself. Yeah. So you look at that and you go, Moving on from from him probably was the right decision based upon the start they had hadn't won a single game so far. But the way in which it went down was it just didn't sit right with me at all. Which is probably why I'm more open to seeing them go down than a lot of people maybe are. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. Yeah, the treatment of Steve Bruce, just that—that's my excuse. That's the uh, the level-headed answer for that side fair of. Enough, fair um, enough. Um, I do actually want to ask you on one more thing, which sure. is, and it's not English-based, but it is obviously something that arsenal have always had their Barcelona links um and they've always been kind of you know there's been comparisons about the way we played much less so in kind of the last decade or so but <laughs> Ronald Koeman leaving Javier Javi Hernandez coming in uh what do you make of that like do you think that's kind of a, a move that would put them back or do you think that's very much kind of a project piece <laughs>
1: It's impossible process, to say. I mean, will. Yeah, process. Yeah, it's a good way to describe it. I personally, I don't know about you, but my knowledge of the Qatari League isn't quite what it used to be. I've not really been following Al Saad. Um, <laughs> yeah. What it used to be. Managing. Did you used to be an
0: expert? <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, back in the yeah. day, I was a
1: massive expert, yeah. but I've lost track these days. But I, just, <laughs> uh, it's, 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 I think it smacks to me of an appointment of a club who can't really afford to get a bigger name in right now. I think mm. if they could afford to get someone like an Antonio Conte in, they probably would have done. They probably would have sat in a long time ago if they could afford to. But Barcelona is a financial mess right now. So they needed someone in who maybe will get a bit more time from the fans. So if results don't pick up immediately, mm-hmm. I don't think fans will be as quick to jump on someone like Javi Hernandez as they would Ronald Koeman. Although Ronald Koeman himself is a, a club legend. Well, mm-hmm. was maybe a club legend. I think my time yeah. is slightly <laughs> yeah. now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, 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 it's difficult to make know what to make of it. I think it'd be interesting if they're able to stay in the Champions League, see if they do well there. But for me, their their big thing right now is being able to qualify for the Champions League via La Liga. Obviously, no. there's not as many strong teams in La Liga competing for those top four spots, but Barcelona are a long way off European football right now. So that's their, their big game. I think it'll be interesting to see. I just, I don't quite know if he's the guy who's going to maybe propel them back to no. where a club like Barcelona needs to be. And it's quite sad to watch them because... Yeah, I grew up watching Barcelona. I grew up watching those Guardiola yeah. by the other I grew up crying after the Champions League final with Barcelona oh, yeah. beat Arsenal in 2006. So those teams are teams that are sort of ingrained within my footballing education, footballing memory, being the very best around. And it's, it's a sad state of affairs that I've got players like Luke de Jong playing up front for them when they once had Lionel Messi. It just doesn't quite fit. And I yeah. think, yeah, Barcelona needs to get back as soon as possible. But just because of the financial mess of the club, it's not yeah. going to happen for quite a while. I think it's going to be quite a long, slow, painful process. And I don't think even Javi coming in to the team will necessarily think.
0: No, he he does have a lot of those kind of Guardiola values and and maybe that's what they're going to be looking at. I think also from an Arsenal perspective, like there was always a few rumours that went around about Mikel Arteta being kind of on their radar and and then very much kind of monitoring how he was going to be getting on at Arsenal because obviously he's, he's got his own links to Barcelona, of course. So maybe the fact that they've gone for a project manager puts any if anyone had any nerves about Arteta leaving for Barcelona probably those to rest uh, the only other thing now is Xavi known as being someone who likes to b- bring through young players as well and we know that he'll have that as a, a kind of affiliation to La Masia and how he brings youth players through there and he'll be looking at very young players across the continent Barca were linked with Charlie Patino previously as well so maybe that will rekindle an interest there there's lots of speculatory things that go on that's not even a word is it we're, we're really a fan of words yeah, that's that, a word. That that's exist. a word that's a word speculatory is it a word I don't know it's a word uh, for the purpose of
1: this show <laughs>
0: But you know what I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it will be speculative of, of Barcelona to, nice. to be looking at different things. There we go. Um, yeah, that will bring us to the end of today's show. We talked about some interesting topics, despite it being a, a fairly quiet one uh, on the Arsenal side of things and not exactly at a fireworks press conference either, <laughs> but uh, it'll be an intriguing game. So what I'll ask from you, Kyra, is, is we'll start doing this more ahead of the game. So I'm going to ask you for a prediction.
1: Uh, for the. I knew the that game. was coming. I knew that was coming <laughs> and I was worried about it. Um... Listen, you'd have to be a fool not to predict to Arsenal to win right now just because of the form they're in and Watfords are where they are on the table for a reason. So I'm gonna go for two nil to the Arsenal mm. second time in the row.
0: That is what I said on our Behind the Enemy Lines record, which will oh, be able right. to watch okay. tomorrow uh, on the channel. So, yeah, I went for 2 0. James, who we talked to from the Watford Way, he went for a speculatory uh, scoreline. <laughs> <kind of thing. laughs> so, uh, make sure you tune in to find out what James went for from the Watford Way. But thank you, Kai. As always, mate, really appreciate you taking the time. Tell people where they can find you and what you've got coming up.
1: And no worries. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at kai 97 as you can see on that lovely. Uh, lower half lower third right there beneath me on the screen i'm also on facebook and i'm on the website first and foremost where you can find all my articles and all the other good stuff
0: your stuff you got a piece on Tinian and tavarish coming out tomorrow is that
1: right uh not that I'm aware of. Oh wow. I've <laughs> um, got that from
0: nowhere. I, th- I thought sorry, I thought yes. you said earlier about the choice between Tini and Tavares We did, we,
1: uh, we did, we've done one already. oh uh, Sorry, week. yes, that's yeah. that's all good. That's all good. Um yeah, Chris, um, Tash uh and I all did um uh, we did our opinions on who would who we would pick out of Tini and Tavares and I actually chose Tierney in that piece, which is given that I said I've chosen, I would mm-hmm. go for Tavares shows <laughs> how much I
0: <laughs> flip
1: an opinion. But uh, yeah, there we go. Um, that's who, yeah, that's something you guys should definitely check out. Um, yeah, it's definitely caused sure. it a lot of debate on social media.
0: Uh, and we'll have this afternoon, uh, I've got a piece on Tavares and Tierney's statistical comparisons and how Tavares is outperforming Tierney in 13 different metrics in the last wow. two games, so or averaged okay. across the whole season. So make sure you check that one out as well. Um, we'll see you again very, very soon. And as always, please keep following us down the Aster way.